0: And the deficit is equal to the expenditure minus income, or expenditure minus taxes, revenue. So the government can, if you want a deficit of 100 billion, the government can do it two ways, two polar opposites, two polar methods of doing it. Either spend 100 billion dollars more, or take in 100 billion dollars less. In other words, if the budget is if now expenditures are 600 billion, let's say, and Tax revenue is $600 billion. If you want a $100 billion deficit, you can either increase this to 700 or you can cut this to 500 This This brings a political element of the picture. Left-wing Canadians tend to always be in favor of increasing government expenditure anyway. So they, so they do it now on a cover of helping the economy, increasing you know, spending, lifting the thing up to the full employment line. So left-wing Canadians will opt for... Let's take, let's take a little grid here. Canadians. Liberals serve liberals. <coughs> okay. so during depressions, liberals are in favor of increasing increasing government spending. Serviles will tend to be in favor of tax cuts. So you're leaving more money to the people, and so on, and so on. So taxes. Uh, during inflationary periods, you need to do if you want a surplus of a hundred billion, or now, of course, a lesser deficit. Up here now. <clears throat> if you want to circle 100 billion, you can either increase taxes to 700 billion, or the circle the way you can cut expenditures to 500 billion. So conservatives tend to favor cutting expenditures during inflation, and liberals, of course, are favor tax increases. They are anyway. So if you had really heroic, extreme free market, or whatever you want to call it, Keynesians, and they were in power, they would then cut tax During depressions, they would cut taxes very heavily, and then during inflation, they cut spending very heavily, and you get down eventually to sort of a zero budget, okay? <laughs> sort of by accident. <laughs> this, of course, never happens. There are no conservative Keynesians hold this view. Liberal Keynesians tend to sort of ride, you know, tend to sort of be dominant, so you have. Spending going up in the Depression, matching taxes going up in inflation, which means that government spending is always going up, relative to the private sector, not by accident. So uh, in the course of what you have is you have conservatives, you have liberals, you have moderates. The moderates are favorable, a little mix of both. You have cut a little, increase a little spending, cut a little taxes, or whatever. Nobody ever cuts government spending ever. I mean, it hasn't been done in America. It hasn't been done since the first two years of the Eisenhower administration ever since then nobody even talks about cutting government spending Reagan when he talked about government cutting government spending what he really meant was cutting the rate of growth of government spending okay? a very different concept so this is out this is now verboten unthinkable okay. so now we have uh, now the question is how do you maneuver if you have a depression so they're moderates. So you do a little mix of both so the conservatives are people who conservative the people who want to have a little bit more of a tax cut compared to a little bit more of a spending increase and you have a General mishmash, Keynesian mishmash somewhere in the middle. Okay, this was a picture until until the mid-1970s was something cataclysmic happened to the Keynesian movement. Namely, remember the the old picture, you have a business cycle of inflation and depression. If there's a a depression, you pump in spending. If there's an inflation, you get in spending. What do you do if you have both at the same time? What do you do if you have inflation and a depression at the same time? Uh, Now called stagflation, (coughs) inflationary recession. Uh, This appeared for the first time, well, it appeared in the 30s, but nobody recognized it because we're in a big depression anyway. There's a big inflation within it. But the first time it appeared in this current phenomenon, it was a very small amount, I, think. So I believe the depression in 1957, 58, and uh, it was a big depression, there was a big unemployment, separate separate bankruptcies, and prices, instead of which had always gone down in all previous depressions, and creaked creeped up a little bit, didn't go up a lot, Suddenly 75, and they they crept up. It's very unusual. That's supposed to happen. And I remember uh, one of my favorite anecdotes about this is I studied under author Burns' Columbia. <coughs> Burns is a conservative Keynesian, a moderate conservative Keynesian, I sort of described me. Went to Washington to be head of the Council of Econom- Economic Advisors in the Eisenhower administration. He later returned under Ford and Nixon to the most inflationary Federal Reserve person in history, I think. Uh, talking constantly, attacking inflation all the time, it was there, thereby establishing a sound money reputation. Anyway, he comes back after four years, I've had administration, he gives a Keynesian lecture about what to do, and the same stuff I've been telling you here, except without the, the attack on it. And um, so I asked him a question, I said, Well, Professor Burns, is now a situation where there's unemployment, depression, recession, and yet prices are going up. What do we do about that? And he said, Well, it's not going to last long. Three months at the over and all that, which was true. I said, OK, but what happens if, supposing sometime in the future this happens again? We have even more so. We have a big recession, etc., and prices are going up even faster. And he, he stopped for a while. If you ever heard him speak, he speaks like W.C. Fields without the humor. And he said, Well, that case, in that case, we'll all have to resign. <laughs> now, it happened in the 70s, 73, 75, It happened in seventy-nine, eighty-one. Of course, nobody ever resigns. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, he didn't resign. Nobody else resigned. <laughs> and uh, that's, one of Rothbard, that's one of my laws. I have a bunch of sociological laws. Rothbard's law, One of which is nobody ever resigns. And once in a while, of course, the law is broken. But it's not very often. <laughs> okay. So uh, the. Uh, <coughs> This is increasingly true, and we now have a situation when it's 73, 75, uh, we have a big recession and prices were going up by 14% a year or so. And what do you do? Well, Keynesians <coughs> are a big trouble. What can you say about that. They don't resign, they don't, they, they don't stop being the Keynesians, they become, become very low-key about Keynesians, the, the they're very confused. And so what you do is, if you have a situation where, you, where you're supposed to put on the accelerator and the pressure, and take off and put on a brake and a boom. You have both at the same time, you sort of do both, you do both rapidly alternating and hope that something works. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, close your eyes when something <laughs> works. Right? So the, uh, the result is the Keynesians are totally in a total state of confusion and they're all, they don't know what to do at this point. There's, at this point we have a big deficit that's supposed to be inflationary. On the other hand we just to had have, to have a recession uh, and, well, should we do that? On the other hand, we have inflation, we're going want to heat that up. Total chaos, intellectual chaos. So that's, uh, <coughs> and I haven't really, okay, I really should stop talking at this point, but I, that, that's really, I haven't explained inflation or recession yet. Okay, I'll do that in a minute, so it clears up. Anybody have any comments on this? or have any, any uh, questions, comments, any converted Keynesians that uh, come on, and confess? I thought I thought James James watched that there weren't any Democrats and Republicans that were
1: just liberals yeah. and there the Americans.
0: Do <laughs> 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 you think he's going to resign James Watts? Okay. I have no idea. <coughs> Did he get the shot oh, on uh, the foot yeah. award? The Yeah, I think it was very funny. It was hilarious. He, so. uh, He also, I read this article, and in fact, there was a picture of uh, (coughs) Secretary Schultz going. uh, Did he really say that? Beside the Army General, that said, "We're sending in more troops into Vietnam." Ah, Lebanon. But uh, uh, there was something about James Watt, and he said, "Yes, in my administration, we have equal opportunity employment." we got a few Italians, we got a few Jews, a few cripples. <laughs> that, was, that was Butts, wasn't it? No, no, no. It no, was Watt. It was Watt. It was Watt. It was a Jewish guy who had right. a paralyzed left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, <laughs> that was me. By the was the one... I mean, we're that, looking for a Jew with a paralyzed guy. Not <laughs> deep for a warm place. Butts was a warm place to sleep Enough to <laughs> eat. Yeah, 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 that's so it. But the, <laughs> yeah, the, the way he said it, my wife saw him on television. I was, I was teaching that day when Watt said it. The way he said it was very funny. Speaking for the Chamber of Commerce or something, he said, We have this new commission on co leasing and all nonsense. He said, It's very balanced. We got three Democrats and two Republicans, one black, one woman, two Jews, and a cripple right. cutting it off. I said, It's hilarious. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. uh, are you going to be talking about the banks and the, uh, like the liquidity crisis and that sort of thing? The liquidity Oh my God! So what, what the hell do I don't take this time. For you, yeah, right? there's like, actually one little question. Yeah, um, you know how like a bank can keep a certain <coughs> amount of its cash is reserved and yeah. loan the rest of it. and and by doing clever bookkeeping, it manages to multiply the money by right. the factor whatever mm-hmm. it wants. And so like twenty percent reserve mm-hmm. it multiplies it by five. Shouldn't that like that costs a 500 percent increase yeah. in money supply? Right. How come doesn't cause runaway inflation? Well, causes of inflation, a question of how much, how much is done. You know, it hasn't been done enough to run away yet, except in cases where there have been runaway inflation, Germany, and Hungary, and so forth and so on. Right. There are limits. Um, yeah. You know, we, we stop. Learning, right? uh, well, I, I think actually, just about any topic could take all night. Yeah. You can answer generally some questions and then refer them to reading materials. Yes. My new book, *The Mystery of Banking*, solves the whole banking question. Explains it. Actually, it's the first one that really explains it, what happens. Is money and banking textbooks will explain it, except they have, to have the wrong point of view on it. Okay. My own little pamphlet. Most hard money people have the right point of view. But they don't explain it in detail. I, I do I combine explaining in detail with the, our money analysis. Um, basically, it's the. Um, uh, it functions something like warehouse receipts. Yes. Okay. And warehouse receipts. Is this the yeah, that's right. No, 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 no. that's That's oh, the, the old book. No, the new book is called The *Mystery of magic It's a hardcover book. here okay. tonight. Eh? No. 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 It just got. It just came out about a week ago. We get? <laughs> fact, I'm using it in my class. And I have not come to the class yet. I had my dust copy, but I have not come to the uh, class yet. Bookstore. I need that. So. Um, but basically what happened with warehouses, the warehouse law as uh, an undeveloped, has been undeveloped state until fairly recently uh, for some obscure reason. Like common law, statute law warehousing was, was, a, it was mixed up. For example, until 10 years ago, the Chicago grain elevators, which are the grain warehouses for wheat and so forth, uh, they, you, people would deposit <coughs> uh, uh, warehouses, deposit grain in the warehouses and leave it for a while and stuff like so and pick it out. And uh, the grain warehouses began to speculate in these, uh, in these other, in the, the, the depositors, the customer's weak. It's very much as if you're, you're, you're depositing something in a warehouse and somebody takes it out and lends it out, expect it, expecting you, you won't pick it up for a while. And they were doing this systematically. They were making money on the other guys. Uh, they were charging the, the grain, the wheat people uh, money for depositing, and then they take it out and, and lend it out. And it was not illegal. <coughs> Uh, they found it was made illegal, it was called cool embezzlement, which I think it is <laughs> and uh, and then it became a no-no and that was the end of that however in the case of banks which were originally money warehouses where people put gold on deposit and left it there, so the banks began to do the same thing and a case came up uh, early 19th century England a classic case about uh, is, is, is a, if you deposit something, is it a debt or is it a, is it a bailment, bailment being a Legal term for, I mean, if you leave, I mean, for example, if I leave something in something with a safety deposit box, would be a bailment. If I leave it there, it's supposed to be there, damn it. It's not there, and come for it, somebody has to pay. Somebody's a crook. Okay, so, uh, so is is a bank deposit a bailment or is it a loan? And the was arguing back and forth. The judge unfortunately ruled it was a loan, although he admitted. This is true the legal situation I've ever since. So it's a peculiar kind of loan because you have to sort of keep it on hand and, it's, it's, it, and you're not really paying the guy and, and he thinks it's there all the time. So it's a very, a very confused decision of, of the judge. And ever since then, fractional reserve banking has been legal okay, where you can issue warehouse receipts to non-existent money, non-existent gold, and, and lend, them, lend them out and hope that you won't get caught. With hope that, people don't won't cope for redemption, in which case you go back, you don't go to jail, you only go bankrupt. Yeah, so that was a key legal difference. Did but they happen before then, with the creation of the Bank of England? Well, the Bank of England did it on a massive scale, but there weren't that many other banks before that. There were, so it was um, the Bank of England that started it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it was before that oh, yeah. decision. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. decision came much later. For some reason, yeah. no, nobody really uh, didn't go to the courts until uh, until early 1915 or something. I don't know why. I don't know why they didn't take it to the courts. Probably because there were no the <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> If there weren't no, the Bank of England, why would anyone complain? Well, the Bank of England went bankrupt at of the very beginning. The Bank of England went bankrupt about two years after they got started. The government then stepped in and said, you can suspend specie payments. You don't have to pay your debt. or your, uh, You can continue, you can enforce the debts on your, and and your debtors, but you don't have to pay the debt. They did this several times, systematically, every time the Bank of England got in the hock. So uh, you know, finally they confirm monopoly of Bank of England, only the Bank of England banknotes bank notes in a 50 mile radius of London and stuff like that. Anyway, the thing is, fractional reserve banking doesn't last very long if it's a free bank, free banking system. You have a real free market of banking, you can't do very much, even with this legal problem, because if say I set up a Rothbard bank, okay, and I start issuing fake warehouse receipts, why not, okay, and lend them out? Who will buy them? One thing. Also. If I have a couple of clients, and I lend them this money, this rock Rothbard dollar notes or something, redeemable in and gold, pretty soon the, my, my my borrower is going to spend his money on something else and give the notes to somebody else to buy something with, and the other guy is not going to be a Rothbard bank client, he'll be a client of some other bank. The other bank calls upon me for redemption, I ain't got the money, I go bankrupt. This check, this free market check on fractional reserve banking is pretty powerful. So the fractional reserve banking it never really got started in a real inflationary manner. Until the central bank comes in, Bank of England, Federal Reserve Bank, Bank of France, etc., and generates, props up the whole system. It's like a government cartel, it's like a compulsory cartel. It is a compulsory cartel. Allowing the banks to inflate uniformly so no one bank is in trouble. And so anyway, the, the the racket, the racketeering part of this is that the the Federal Reserve system, for example, is sold in the United States on the basis of checking the excessive tendency of private banks to inflate. Actually, the reason is just the opposite. The private banks who couldn't inflate got together and got the government to pass this law so the Federal Reserve Bank could, could engage in a cart- 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 inflation. The exact opposite of this. It's just like antitrust law, the same, the same sort of stuff all over again. And the Fed, the Federal Reserve, the United States, the Bank of Canada here, or whatever, it essentially prints money in a different sophisticated way, and then, and then actually, plain, plain simple fact, prints the money, and, this is, and then the whole money supply pyramids upward. And still doing it despite all the talk about checking inflation and all that sort of stuff but in fact that business about banks going bankrupt there was oh. one in britain that, that oh, yeah. a lot of money and and uh, went under <coughs> and the other banks bailed it out because they wanted yeah. really to keep when, when was that? well once in a while I mean, in the united states too like they were, cro- were really crooked crooked crooked, crooked banks yeah. <laughs> i mean they just walk off the assets <laughs> okay or they lend money very unsound loans they lend money to people who go back or something like that they can go under And they're bailed out by the the Federal Reserve, by the Federal Deposit Insurance, and all that. But it's very isolated. And what I'm talking about is a real bank run. Everybody says. In other words, I'd be interested in this sort of thing. People was talking to Paul the other day about about private action, sort of like uh, like agoric action. One agoric action I like to see is a mass run on the banks. Everybody cashes in. Okay, we don't like banks anymore. We we, we insist on cash. This would cause a lot of headaches. They could get around it, but there are a lot of Original turmoil because they have to adjust. I mean, the Federal Reserve and the National Council just print the money and give it to the banks. But they've they got an institutional problem. They, they have to act fast and they have a lot of headaches. So well, they, what, what they do in cases like that, though, is um, declare a bank holidays yeah, one way, sure. but they simply, the government simply locks the doors on mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. that bank and won't allow people to take money. Exactly. Which it, is uh, yeah. partially what happened with um, trust company. Uh, <coughs> Yeah, Rosenberg's. When the depositor wanted their money, the government mm-hmm. just said, I'm sorry, you can't get it for every amount of time. In fact, certain people who wanted to get their money out were not allowed to do it at all because they'd been associates of the previous owners. So it's like suspicious of Yeah, banks. I mean, just clear a bank holiday. The right? banks are legalized thieves, just mm-hmm. as government is yeah. a legalized <laughs> thief. And, uh, Government simply comes in and says, "I'm sorry, you can't. You can't take your money back from the feet. There's also an interesting law which was passed during 1932, the last pre—I would not say free banking—before the Federal Deposit of Insurance came in, so it locked the whole thing up. A lot of bank failures, runs on banks. The Republican administration, first of all, they blamed on the communists it's because the commies are out there on the Bolsheviks in those days, they're undermining the soundness of the banking system. Inject. <laughs> Injecting fear and suspicion in the hearts of the public on the banks. They didn't need communists. to inject fear and suspicion in the banks were collapsing all over the place. And second of all, they said that um, they passed a law making it illegal to spread rumors that a bank is unsound. Or, 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 or bank Yeah. Except it's on the books. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> they like that <them> <laughs> So. The Canadian government did something similar. Trudeau passed an order when there was a, a cartel about the uranium price, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, cartels were illegal in Canada. Mm-hmm. So Trudeau passed an order in council making it illegal to talk about the illegal activities of the Canadian government. kidding. <laughs> yeah. wow. Seriously. There was an the order in council. It was about 1977. Mm-hmm. He passed an order in council Historic. that makes it illegal for any Canadian to talk about the... Uh, uranium cartel, which was illegal at the time. Wow. Is that still in existence? That I action? don't know if that's still in existence. Tell me what. Yes, I, I do Turn right. 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 that man in. He's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not going to sit in the same room as a known criminal. <laughs> Stone slime. As a standard conservative doctrine is if it's on the books, you got to enforce it. You might not like the law, but you have to enforce it to the health if it's on the books, right? There's a send that man to jail. <laughs> right. Right. So, I mean what would we think if, if all, we have it, all these people went around talking about the fact that the government didn't do things right I this, mean I'm right. <laughs> <Yeah, clearly, laughs> I mean, undermining the confidence in the Canadian yeah. government I mean. right. Exactly. <laughs> I should I should, why, I mean, this is like uh, two minutes to sum up a whole bunch of literature of what the Austrian business cycle theory is and what the explanation of all this recession is. one minute they can read it in my *America's Great Depression* or in Hayek's uh, X. Uh, monetary Theory the Trade Cycle*, of *Human Action*. Uh, basically, it is. This is one of the things wrong with the Friedmanites. The Friedmanites say yes, yes, banking excessive banking uh, expansion, money supply causes inflation. They don't see any other problems with inflation. It's only the prices go up and down, and, and people can't calculate as well. Actually, what happens with inflation through the banking system is. That messes up the whole production structure. Interest rates are distorted, production is distorted, and what you have is an excessive investment in capital goods and what's being called higher orders of production—machine tools, construction, cement, things like that—and and not enough of an investment in consumer goods. You have a distortion of this production structure. Usually, there's a lattice work; everything clears and, and clicks and so forth because the. The, the government inflates, lends money, and the banks inflate the rest of the government, lend money to businessmen, businessmen then expand un, un, unnecessarily as if there were a lot of savings to invest, and there really isn't. This causes this distortion, this over, overinvestment of capital goods. And as soon as the inflation stops, as soon as the monetary inflation stops, this is revealed by process I can't go into, I just have to sum that up, stated, violated it. As soon as you stop pumping in more money, uh, these construction companies, capital industries, start making severe losses. They, you know, their overexpansion their is now revealed. Recession then becomes necessary and healthy in order to wash out these malinvestments, to liquidate these unsound investments, and get back in a proper proportion. So the resources are shifted back to consumer goods unless the excess amount of investment goods are eliminated. So recession then becomes the inevitable, unfortunate, but necessary and inevitable uh, consequence of the boom, and a healthy consequence of the boom, the boom. Boom is the problem, recession is the correction. This is of course totally opposed to the Keynesian doctrine, which you have to and free doctrine, you have to pump and do something to correct recession. So uh, so this means that the, the Austrian policy conclusion derived from that is if you if there's an inflation, stop inflating, there will be a recession. Think about recession and let the recession do its healthy work fast and get it over with so we can have the recovery. Let the, these resources shift back to the proper free market level. The more you try to hold up the recession and delay it, the more you try to interfere with it, keep wage rates up, uh, bail out uh, unsound companies and so forth, the more you're prolonging the recession, converting it into a chronic depression, the more you're delaying the recovery. So the choice then becomes, after the inflation, boom, the choice becomes a quick, sharp, sort of surgical cut, and the recovery is on, or a chronic depression continues on and on. And what happened in the 1930s is Herbert Hoover, far from being a great apostle of Laissez-faire was the first big New Dealer. He was the same. His policy is the same as Roosevelt except less lower degree. So as soon as the recession hit, stock market crash hit, he immediately intervened with all these New Deal legislation, bailing out, uh, bankrupt firms, uh, keeping wage rates up, keeping prices up, et cetera, et cetera, pumping in more credit, uh, lowering interest rates, the whole business, public works projects, uh, what this did was delay the, the recession, prolong it, and Roosevelt, of course, intensified it as you have a 20, 11 year depression. So, something which would have been like a nine month recession is converted into a chronic, seemingly permanent depression. And a capitalism, the free market gets to blame for it. Instead of the government intervention which creates it, uh, it's the free market which is, of course, uh, levying the blame, and, the, and the, those conservatives keep still keep maintaining, despite all the evidence that Hoover is a great lazy and fair person, of course, of digging their own grave on this because they're, they're uh, holding up somebody that everybody else thinks belongs to depression they were right. So anyway, so <coughs> The difference between you know. recession and depression is simply how long it lasts. Yeah, it's no longer how intense it is. It's big. It's a depression. It's sort of more mild sort of recession. Actually, the word depression is now been outlawed by economists. They don't use it, but it's too depressing. <laughs> The, uh, the old days people don't talk about depression. They talk about mild depression and severe depression. And then depression stopped being used as a bad PR. So now it's recession. Big recession. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's all semantics. <laughs> Correct, yeah. Sometimes, back in the 60s, uh, they started talking about, they started saying, maybe there are no recessions anymore either. Maybe they're just sideways corrections or, or whatever. So that, 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 that's, that was too euphemistic. That technical direction. Technical direction, <laughs> Well, this, um, that's it. Should we have a general evaluation by people? Are they focused on it? Yeah.